Hello and welcome back to the MRX Lab podcast, the show from FlexML, where this year we've been investigating the big questions in market research and insight and how you can make a difference in your team today. And I'm thrilled for this episode to be joined by Danny Russell, non-exec director, MRS fellow, and now three-time recipient of the Insight 250 Award. Danny, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's, uh, it's great to be here today with you. Now, I have given a, a very brief overview of, of what you do today, but for our listeners, could you share a summary of uh, your journey through the marketing and insight industries? Um, sure. Um, so my, my father was actually a sales director. So looking back, I, I guess I was sort of always interested in business. He was often talking about uh, what he was up to at work. And I thought that sounded quite cool. Um, so I did do business studies uh, in my degree. <clears throat> I knew that my specialism would be in marketing, uh, primarily as the other two options, which were HR and accountancy, were, were definitely not for me. So um, I was very fortunate. My third year placement from university with a, was with a, a really small product testing research agency. But even though they were small, they had some huge client brands. I, I remember doing a lot of work with L'Oreal and Procter and & Gamble. Um, and we were basically testing on shelf brand new products. So products like Wash & Go, which was the first ever shampoo and conditioner combined. Um, Procter & Gamble had knew, no idea where to place it on the shelf or how much to charge for it. So we were given this very rare stock to uh, actually put out onto the shelves. So as a student, I was driving all over the country and placing brand new products on shelf in chemists, convenience stores and large supermarkets. Uh, and then we had a local field force who um, went in weekly to monitor the sales. So it was really tough, but fascinating work. So I jumped at the chance when they were happy to take me on when I, when I graduated. Um, but after about 12, 18 months there, I decided I needed to join a larger business, get some proper background, some proper training. So I moved to Nottingham to work for Boots uh, as a market researcher on brands such as Nurofen, E45 and Strepsils. Uh, and then I moved to Cheltenham to work in the wonderful world of yellow fats, uh, margarine to you and I, um, coffee and cheese at, at Kraft. I was then approached by British Airways uh, to work on their executive club and Club World brands, uh, uh, which was fantastic four years. Uh, moved back to London, uh, ended up flying around the world, uh, including on Concorde. So it's a fantastic experience. Uh, and then I was approached by Sky and Sky was looking for their first ever consumer market researcher, uh, which being a sports fan, uh, I jumped at. I spent 14 years at Sky as their marketing strategy director uh, before spending some time at Telefonica 02. And then I decided to set up my own marketing consultancy where um, I've been for eight years now. Uh, and I must admit, just looking back, reading it out like that, I've been very lucky to have worked with so many great brands and, and wonderful, smart people during that time. It definitely sounds like you've had opportunities to work with a real range of um, kind of consumer industries across the UK. So I guess I want to start by asking you, given all of those experiences you've had um, in the sector, 
what you think about the current challenges uh, the research industry is facing today. I know we've seen a lot of news about research budgets stagnating or declining. What do you make of this? So uh, I'm actually, I'm actually um, <clears throat> genuinely worried about it. Um, but sometimes it feels like I'm the only one. So in that sort of circumstance, when you're losing your head and nobody else is, it normally means that I've um, misunderstood the situation, uh, which is which is more than likely. But I just keep seeing all these various data points. So I, I'm really concerned that the uh, IPA Bellwether report has shown an unprecedented six quarters of market research losing its salient saliency within the chief marketing officer population. Uh, it's absolutely unprecedented that, that any of the sectors that they talk about uh, record losses over, over such a continuous period of time, six quarters. Um, I, I belong to the independent consultant group and they uh, undertook a survey recently and you know, the, the general result was that there's a there's a lot of independent consultants complaining that the amount of work that they're winning is far, far lower than it was uh, pre-COVID. It really feels amongst the independent groups that um, that the level of work out there has reduced dramatically. Um, I'm 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 troubled that that I know that the decision making process surrounding clients commissioning research has extended dramatically uh, since the end of, uh, of COVID. Agencies are finding it far harder and slower to win business uh, with, with clients. Um, just outside our own sector, I, I feel uneasy that the Institute of Customer Service is reporting that customer satisfaction levels are, are at a level that's no better than 2015. There's eight years in which customer satisfaction is no higher than it than it is today, um, and and I know from from my own often pretty horrible customer experience that many brands nowadays it just seems to me as if they they've appeared to completely forgotten the customer in terms of what they're doing and and how they're acting. Not all companies, but but by a lot of them. The customer seems to have been completely forgotten by many companies um, and their decision making. Um, so, look, as a sector, if we're all about evidence matters to, to steal the tagline of the Market Research Society, then I personally don't think that we can see and hear this sort of evidence and simply dismiss it outright. I mean, I really hope that I'm wrong. Uh, I'm really hoping that these are all just random data points with with no causation uh, at all. But, yeah, I'm afraid at the moment I, I do worry that as a sector, um, market research, customer insight is, is losing saliency and influence. Mm -hmm. And when you connect all those data points up, it, it makes a, a quite worrying outlook and quite compelling argument so i i wonder what um what's the solution i mean we hear a lot about the need to get uh research a seat at the the top table is that the right direction 
so yeah this this seat at the table is a bit of a bugbear of mine um look it's a it's a really laudable goal um but it's one that's been discussed for well decades right so i mean seriously one of my very first mrs conferences uh, i remember it well back in birmingham uh, i was a wee nipper at the time but it was back in the 90s and i just remember sitting in the in the audience hearing presenter after presenter arguing that research has to be rep represented at the board level and it's it's almost outrageous that we didn't have a uh, a chief insight officer at uh, at board level in in companies um and i i find it i find it strange that we're still discussing it now i mean you can rarely get more than five researchers together in a room for more than about 45 seconds without that very subject being mentioned. And I guess I've got three issues with it. The first one is that if we haven't cracked this in over 30 years, then, then should we continue chasing the dream? The second point is, do we really want to be there? Right. So do we really want to have a, a seat at the tables? Because many of the boardrooms that I've been in, as you, as you heard earlier, I've worked for some pretty big companies. You know, many of the boardrooms that, that I've been in can be pretty brutal. Um, I've always thought that many in our sector might actually sort of freeze being in the spotlight if they, if they were there. Uh, and the last and, and third point, and I think most importantly, is that you know, is the boardroom actually where the decisions are being made? So many board meetings are, are extremely well orchestrated affairs where actually the decisions have already been discussed and decided. Uh, often in, in board meetings, that there's, there's a raft of pre-read documents that have carefully been written and scrutinized and distributed days before the actual board meeting. So... The, the actual debate with the board members is is often very very brief. The lobbying has all, all, always been done, and um, actually acts as a mere rubber stamping of decisions that have already been made within the organisation. Almost uh, theatrical when when you put it that way. Yeah. Um, so I guess in that case, what what are the opportunities that? research and insight teams should be looking at in your opinion well i'm actually way more interested in our ability to have a seat at many tables so as i've just explained the decisions are being made across the organization often before they get up to the board to be uh, to be ratified um i'd love us to be there when and where the actual key decisions are, are being made to ensure that the customer is represented when these decisions are being made across the organization, to increase our sector's influence across multiple touch points within an organization. I mean, I strongly believe that these are the way that, that, that we can increase our own impact, uh, to have a, a, a seat at many tables rather than just at the top table. And do you think uh, the pandemic and kind of the post-pandemic rise of hybrid working has had any impact on that, that way decisions are made nowadays? Yeah, look, in, 
in my experience, decision-making has, has slowed dramatically. Uh, and this isn't just for the insight sector, but but I think it's across companies as, as a whole. Um, it's obviously difficult, if not impossible, to sort of disentangle this from the effects of of everything that we've been through over the four or five years, not, not just uh, the pandemic, but um, Brexit, the war in Ukraine, the subsequent global energy crisis, etc. But I, I cannot help but wonder to what extent the, the non-existent growth in customer satisfaction that I mentioned earlier and the general sluggish UK economy. It's, you know, I saw reported this morning, it's um, down another 0.5% in July. And, and I just wonder whether the, these have all been sort of negatively affected by our new ways of working post-COVID. Um, but there's no getting away with the fact that I, I, I can't see, certainly in my lifetime, as ever going back, and I think it's probably a good thing, to everybody traipsing off to the office for five days a week. You know, you look back, it almost sort of didn't make sense that we were doing that. And technology's enabled us to work in a, in, in a different way. But also, you know, we've worked in offices in that way for over 300 years. And I think in that time, we as humans have adapted really well and learned how decisions can be influenced and, and, and made. Um, and it seems slightly to, naive to me that we can sort of fundamentally change how we work with hybrid working patterns and the use of digital meetings and not see a difference in decision making. Um, I'm worried that in a hybrid working world, we we sort of lose all those crucial corridor conversations um, where we can bump into people, be noticed, you know, push our perspective ask them you know where we are at, in a particular in a, in a particular project i always recall from my working days at the, the, the big brands that i was working with those sort of canteen moments where you sort of walk over to a stakeholder grab them nudge them on the question you're awaiting an answer to you know it's the i've, I've emailed you three times with that proposal are we going to do it or we're we not going to do it or you know do you need any more information and and I think there was a reason that water cooler moments became infamous within business talk. Um, it's because they 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 were they were factual. They worked right. Those water cooler moments when you when you actually talked business and and got things done. Um, so I fear that we're sort of losing that as as more and more meetings are held digitally because you you just don't operate in the same way when you're uh, when you're when you're operate when you're meeting digitally as you are in in real life so you know specifically in in our sector um, there's a couple of agencies i work with where I actually sort of monitor how long it takes for decisions to be taken and and seriously it's it's taking anywhere between 20 to 40% longer for projects to be uh, commissioned and decisions to be taken, and and I think that's that's hurting our uh, I think that's hurting our sector. Yeah, that's um, again some very sobering statistics about uh, kind of the state of uh, insight and and research and its place in that constellation of decision making. So I I want to shift gears a little bit 
and um, pick up on this masterclass that you're going to be running with Fletzmar and Aura next month on the topic of customer salience. What can you what can you tell us about customer salience and where that fits into this um, kind of broader sphere of decision making? Well, yeah, I mean, I hate to sound sort of overtly negative, which I probably have done since I've been talking about some of my observations. But um, look, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And for me, it's around this issue of, of customer salience. So that many in marketing will have heard of the work of Les Binet and uh, Peter Field. Uh, it's called The Long and the Short of It, or um, Byron Sharp as well with his, uh, with his book, How Brands Grow. Um, if you if you haven't, then I'd strongly urge people to to Google them. Uh, there are some really good summaries uh, online, and they're both truly seminal works for marketing. Right, so both talk about the importance of brand salience, a brand's likelihood to come to mind in buying situations, and customer salience is is similar. It's the customer's likelihood to come to mind when your business is taking decisions. And, and given what I've said earlier about having a seat at many tables and the new challenges we face with hybrid working, customer salience is the need for insight teams to ensure that their organization has customers at the top of mind when decisions are being made. Uh, and I think this is a massive opportunity for insight teams now, given the changes that we've seen over the past few years. Mm, very interesting. And obviously, yeah, I second that endorsement. If anyone listening hasn't read the long and short of it or how brands grow, go and read those. <laughs> but uh, I guess without giving too much away or without, you know, spoiling it completely, um, the upcoming masterclass. What can you tell us about how researchers can start to build customer salience into their companies? Yeah, so the Institute of Customer Service data that I, I mentioned earlier would, would suggest that customers are clearly not top of mind uh, as current as companies go about making decisions nowadays. Um, yeah, eight, eight years of zero growth on customer satisfaction, I don't think is a great record. So um, not only is, is this uh, a super opportunity for insight teams to increase their impact, I feel it's actually incumbent on insight teams and us as a sector to do so. So if, if, if the insight teams aren't going to represent the customer, then, then who will? Um, I think it's incumbent upon us. So to make it as easy as possible, um, we've devised what we call the 4C model of customer salience. And I firmly believe that it's this that allows insight teams to increase their impact within their organizations. And honestly, who doesn't want to have more impact within their, within their roles? So 4C model, nice and simple. First C is to challenge. And that is to challenge existing patterns of thinking like we have been today, like the things I mentioned today. We've worked in offices for over 300 years. We've worked hybridly for the last two to three years. 
we've got to challenge that, right? We've got to challenge our thinking around what that means for us, how we work and how we influence decisions. The second C is to create. So we have to create our own customer salience strategy. It's no good implementing uh, plans without having first written your strategy. So uh, that second C is to create that strategy. Thirdly, connect decision makers directly to customers. So that's really important that we're not going to be there all the time because we're working hybridly. Um, so we have to connect decision makers, our stakeholders, directly to customers. So again, they have customer saliency at the heart of what they're doing. Uh, and the fourth really is to, uh, is to collaborate. So the insight can still have a seat at many tables, even when we're not physically present in the room. So challenge, create, connect, and collaborate. And, uh, and, and that's, that's really at the heart of that 4C model that we're going to be talking about at the, at the masterclass. And uh, for anyone listening, how can they find out more about um, customer salience and the 4C model? Right. Well, I think, I mean, I think there's two things. Firstly, if, if you're a client, uh, then I'd get in touch with Aura uh, to try and grab a place on, on one of the upcoming uh, masterclass sessions that, that we're running. So we're, we're doing them face to face, which, again, I think is important um, in both London and Manchester. So if you're a client, then uh, get in touch with Aura to try and grab yourself a place. Um, secondly, uh, regardless of who you are, if you go to the Flex MR website and look under resources, uh, you'll be able to actually download the customer salience toolkit. Uh, and also, I think, uh, just keep an eye on the Flex MR LinkedIn feed as we start to talk about customer saliency uh, in the coming months. And just one last question for you, Danny, which is, what is... What's the one thing you'd really like people to take away from today's episode? I think it's that we, the insight sector, have to work differently um, because companies and our stakeholders are working differently. We, we can't assume we can't assume that what we did pre-COVID will work in a hybrid uh, environment. Um, for me, companies are leaving the customer behind. So there is a massive opportunity for us to have more impact. And, and this lies with our ability to create customer saliency. And I think the 4C model that we've devised is an easy way uh, with which to create this. Fantastic. Danny, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. No problems. Thanks very much, Chris. And thank you to everybody listening as well. I'll be back next month along with Nicola Stevens, Head of Insight at Close Brothers, to discuss how insight teams can become decision consultants. But until then, I've been your host, Chris Martin, and this has been the MRX Lab. <laughs>